Hey everyone! Hey! Welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon. We're coming to you all the way from New York. We have spent the most magical, magical 10 days here. We've been having the best time. And honestly, we've been having the most incredible interviews with fantastic people, the founders of our favorite bakery to a full-blown freaking movie star. Like, like honestly, one of the best movie stars of all time. Just saying. Yeah. Like what we have in store for you is literally out of this world. Also, can I just say, I feel like that was a real missed opportunity in this intro for us to go live from New York. It's how to live the podcast. Oh my God. So <laughs> true. So let's pretend we started that way. Excellent. Um, so make sure you're following us on Insta at how to live so you can follow all of our travels and see all the fun as it unravels. And boy, I mean, girl, is it fun? <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Um, but this week on the podcast, we have... The insanely inspiring Loretta Bolitan. She is the co-founder of Free to Feed, which if you haven't heard of it, is a social enterprise based in Melbourne. And basically it empowers refugees and new migrants by employing them to take cooking classes and cater in their home cuisine. It is such an awesome initiative and genius way to bridge the gap between communities. And also we've had the pleasure of tasting some of their food and we can vouch for it. It is outstanding it really is so today we chat to Loretta about how us as individuals can feel empowered to create change which all is, of us yeah incredible and also how we can break down cultural barriers so for us you know being born in Australia and white passing being treated differently on a daily basis it's not something that we experience um, and we actually had a really interesting discussion with her about how that is actually a reality for a lot of people we understand that for some people listening, this is something you live and experience every single day. So we really welcome your feedback on this discussion and we'd love for you to share your experiences and educate us um, and tell us how you'd love to see people changing their attitudes and behaviors. So as per usual, stick around to the end of the episode to hear which kick-ass woman we'll be having on the podcast next week. And for now, enjoy Loretta. <laughs> So how's everything been going lately? Holy moly, that's a really big opening uh, question. Uh, it's so oh, open-ended. It's not even in there. It's not written down. I just thought I'd break the ice a little bit first. That's really, um, things have been really full on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and exciting. Yeah, you were saying that like you have your two babies now, so like you're a little bit tired and... I'm a lot tired, mm. um, but I try to separate my um, work self from my really tired mum self. Oh, how yeah. does that go for you? It's tricky. It's tricky. It's a delicate balance, but... Because um, mm, you are just one person. I'm one person, yeah, but I'm really well supported, so... Yeah. Yeah. What do you do to try to separate it? Mm, like just block the fact that I have children just out of my mind. Okay. Oh. So like when I leave for work, it's like they're not real. They don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at 3.30 or 4 o'clock when I get home, I'm like, oh, you guys. Oh, my God. It's See, amazing. It's like meeting them for the first time every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 50 first dates. Exactly. <laughs> Do you feel like some like level of guilt? Like, okay, because lately I've been feeling like 
a lot and I mean like a shit ton of animal mom guilt Cat and I guilt. said to my boyfriend the other day I don't know how I could ever have children because I just feel like the guilt would be too immense because like right now between like feeling guilty about leaving my cats and my dogs like I just feel so bad all the time and I feel like that would be such a thing for women yeah I think I think um I think it's real I think um I know I <laughs> I feel like we're striving for this idea of once you have kids, you're striving for this idea of balance, but it actually doesn't exist. So then you can feel really crappy mm. um, because that balance never comes. So something has to be sacrificed. So for me, I'm just a giant loser. I don't have a social life mm. and that's okay because I've sacrificed that. But when I try to sort of have a little bit of everything or have it all, let's say, um, then I end up being a really grumpy, bad mom and pretty bad at work as well. Yeah, so, yeah no okay. one can have it yeah. all. I've we sacrificed the that. social life. Yeah, you've got to find the right balance. The two priorities that work for exactly. you, I guess. Yeah. So before we kind of dive into um, how you started Free to Feed, we'd, like, we'd love to hear about what, what your kind of life looked like before then. Wow, it Take really genuinely feels like a, like a lifetime ago it's been four years um I did a lot of work like humanitarian work mm-hmm. um working with refugees both um here at home um in Sydney and then internationally so I did some work in um in Egypt and right before I started free to feed I was actually based in the Netherlands in the Hague um and I had a little bub who my first child who was about six months old at the time um and just work in the humanitarian life and um, when you, you say you were so young can we just appreciate that like i am young whoa i'm young you have done i think so I, I think i just missed the um cut off for teenage pregnancies because <laughs> <laughs> okay. i'm sitting here being like whoa have you lived three lifetimes like, what do you mean you've no, done all i've that? always been pretty serious about the um like the work stuff uh-huh. so I, I got started quite early so um, yeah, sort of first year uni, I was really like actively involved in volunteering and, um, you know, I went out to Christmas Island and got to see the situation there for, for people seeking asylum. Um, so I think my career probably just feels like, you know, cause it's been a decade essentially, mm. but I'm only Started like, early. I'm almost 30, you know? Yeah. Um, so it just sort of, I just got really stuck into stuff. Pretty totally. Early. And you have two kids and you're super accomplished in your career. Yeah, I'm pretty so much like- going to retire. Yeah, exactly. You've got like five years left in you. Perfect. Um, I look forward to um, having more space for some of the other stuff that I like later on. So when you say you were really serious growing up, do you mean you were just, it sounds to me like you just had a really big heart and you, you know, um, like you describe it as serious, but it just sounds like you were doing a lot of awesome things. I guess I was just like curious, curious about um, the world, right? And I guess some of us are, you know, in our teenage years are sort of more, um, you know, our sort of vision or our interests sort of doesn't really extend far beyond our sort of social circle. Whereas I guess I just had this um, really deep curiosity about what was happening around the world, Mm. um, which meant that I was like a little bit more serious. So what kind of drove you to be so passionate about working with refugees Mm. uh, even before Free to Feed? My so my family are migrants from Italy um, and I grew up in a really multicultural, rich, diverse part 
of Melbourne, um, a really low socioeconomic area. So like most people were migrants, pretty poor, um, but our lunches were amazing. <laughs> um, I would have all of the salami and my, um, you know, classmates had delicious food from all around the world. So I guess there was some influences coming through there and just exposure to um, migrants as being just a part of my life. And I was just really caught and interested in the idea that, you know, sometimes people have to just suddenly get up and leave. Just imagine your everyday life here and you've sort of got your things and your routine and your ideas. And then suddenly something way outside of your control happens that you have to leave. Mm. And I think that that's really a really fascinating thing to explore Um, and how despite having really massively difficult things happen to people, people are like, really fundamentally resilient like they want to go on and better themselves um and I just I'm kind of addicted to that Mm. um those that those ideas um so I guess yeah with that in mind I was drawing a lot of inspiration from um people who seek refuge um and then just sort of really decided to pursue that um and just um started actually visiting people in detention centers here in um in Melbourne, you can mm. do that. Most people don't know that you can do that. You can just go and you do can, that. Yeah, you have to sign some paperwork and stuff. But um, just to go and chat, or like, do yeah, you bring to them go things? and chat and like bring them some food and just to help people who are really lonely, like mm. super lonely in this country. They don't really know anything about because they're kind of in this like gated, you know, detention center, and just like reach out and connect with them. And the center I had gone to at the time, way back in the day, was actually a center for young adults who had lost their families who had come by themselves to a new country and so it was really full on but actually in those interactions where I would visit we were just being young people Mm. you know they would ask me to smuggle in cigarettes and things you know (laughs) they were just actually young people um, in the worst situation um, and had experienced incredible things in their life but um, yeah and I just just wanted to I guess be there and even the word like detention center, like it makes them sound like it makes it sound like jail, like you're going to visit people in yeah. jail. Yeah, like they've done something wrong and they're in trouble. It feels a bit like that. Yeah. 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 It's they're, they're not nice places. Yeah, yeah, totally. When in reality, they're just like young people wanting cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. And to have a good time and <laughs> feel some human connection. Yeah, absolutely. So how did that kind of interest or addiction you called it how did that kind of then translate into this idea of free to feed yeah so I did um you know sort of pursued the work professionally worked in the humanitarian sector Mm -hmm. um and um and I guess through my work I um I was meeting so many people who despite the support that I was able to give them say like finding a house or um connecting you know opening a bank account or knowing where the grocery store was people were really lonely when they would arrive here so they were just craving the normal stuff that we have you know in familiarity um recognition um going to work (laughs) um just because you know yeah it gives people a purpose yeah yeah exactly it centers us it gives us a purpose it gives us a way to connect with other people. Mm. Um, so the people that I was meeting were always describing that situation. Um, and so I guess um, my husband and I, I guess to cut a long story short, put our minds together and thought, how can we, um, what can we do? What can we do about this? 
um, you know, lonely people wanting work, but having like incredible skills and stories and things. And we came up with this initial, very early concept of, um, of free to feed. So for people who haven't necessarily heard of free to feed, are you able to tell oh us God, a little bit about- Oh my God, there's people out there. I know. I mean, there might be one or two. <laughs> what are you doing and people? It, yeah. Well, and they need to hear all about it. So I would love you to tell them. Yeah. So, um, so we empower refugees and people seeking asylum and, um, encourage inclusive and connected communities, um, through shared food experiences. So that means, um, cooking experiences um, that are led by refugees and people seeking asylum, taking local community members, local Australians, on a journey through their culture and their stories and their food. Um, Our cooks come from all over the world. Um, I've got uh, people from Syria, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Eritrea, anywhere, anywhere you can think of where there's a some kind of conflict um we we generally work with someone from that source country Mm. and so they share their really beautiful food um and we also do um we work a lot in the event space so trying to create um small dinners or interesting events like um in conversation series or where where basically um there is always a food element which is really incredibly delicious it means my job is tasty mm-hmm. um and um an element where we get to just hear firsthand the story or the culture of someone that's recently arrived i think it's such an incredible solution to that problem that you were describing that you were seeing um in refugees that there was that lack of connection and uh, lack of ability to find work um and it's really cool that like it comes back to your childhood and this experience of sharing food and and having people bond over food. It makes food. sense, doesn't it? it does. I guess like most of our, I don't know about you guys, but did you have sort of rituals around the dinner table? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Very we're, much. we're Jewish. And yeah. so everything we do with our family has to revolve around food. Yeah, like <laughs> Friday night Shabbat dinners Beautiful. with yeah, the family. Exactly. Yeah, everything is always around the food, like food first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my partner, Dan, so co-founder of Free to Feed, is also Jewish and brings oh. that um uh, cultural experience as well and just like that that lens of it's just I, I just think that it's a part of most cultures you know sort of getting together and celebrating around the dinner table and um, being able to have really interesting conversations with your family or extended family and just you know connecting mm. yeah it's yeah. also a pretty cool way to kind of get someone to embrace a new culture I guess like it's a really easy thing to be it's not so easy to be like here's someone new they have really different belief system to you like they might have had a really different upbringing but it is easy to say here's something super delicious that you can put in your mouth and from there that kind of like sparks an interest inside of you to learn about a new culture yeah delicious food is um it's a gateway or it's a you know catalyst for really interesting conversations and Mm, it's literally palatable yes literally (laughs) amazing um I think in a lot of our work um we sort of try to say for example when we do cooking classes with like a business or a corporate or something we try to lead with the food so that everyone gets really heavily involved and they learn a lot and then in the end they might just be like pleasantly surprised that the person that's led them through this whole experience and the food they've shared is actually from someone of refugee background Mm. and then for them it like it actually breaks down all of those like stereotypes and things that you sort of see in the media and all of that because you're like oh, this person's awesome. They just taught me how to cook eight different dishes from 
Iraq mm. and the food is delicious and so tasty. So then you can't really hate someone once you've been in that experience with them. Totally. Yeah. And I find it really interesting that, um, you know, you refer to them as people seeking asylum rather than asylum seekers. Is there a reason for that? I, tr- <laughs> I, I guess I'm trying to, um, they're people first. Yeah. Um, and they happen to be seeking asylum. And I think, just trying to bring some like respect back to the conversation mm. just because, you know, I, I don't like to sort of um, get involved in the politics because it's really, um, it feels really hopeless. Mm. Um, but, you know, with a lot of the sort of media and rhetoric, um, it, it does really dehumanize people. So they are people first and they happen to be trying to seek safety. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. That's yeah. so great. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what you're doing in with those, you know, classes is just you're you're breaking it down and you're just showing that they are just people. We're all just people and we we, we create these are. barriers for ourselves, but like we're all connected in just being human. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, once you you and Dan had kind yeah. of come up with this idea of free to feed and you know, you can like you can see it in your mind and you think it's brilliant and it's definitely going to solve all of these issues and be really amazing and delicious. What what are like the first few steps that you took there? You guys know startup, right? It's mm-hmm. crazy. I don't know. Do you, did you guys have a plan, like a business plan? Oh, hell no. Oh, we never. still don't have one. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What does that even mean? Um, yeah, so we were kind of similar. We didn't have a business plan. Um, and we just some, had some ideas. Um, and so the very first step, actually, we connected with some old um, clients of mine. So people that we used to work with from the Afghan community and they made a really delicious barbecue and we invited all of our friends and we were like, what do you guys think? And we took some photos and they gave us feedback and um, we started to shape something from that. Um, and then I used to work at this, um, cafe in Northgate, um, because I didn't have an office, obviously had no money. Um, I'd quit my job at this point and we're just hoping that something could evolve. Mm, Cafe working is great. Yes, cafe working. Um, and the cafe owner at one point just said to me, like, what are you doing here? (laughs) What are you working on? Why do you order a tea every three hours and nothing else? (laughs) Exactly. Um, and so I just told her, you know, we're working on this idea where like, you know, maybe someone um, from the refugee community can teach us how to cook their food, uh, but we don't really have a kitchen. <laughs> and um, she was like, oh, okay, you can just run it here on a Sunday night when we close. No. Um, yeah. What so, cafe was that? Do you want to um, give them a I shout know. out? It's called Co Cafe in Northcote. Um, it's a really nice space. That's Great people. Such, so generous. It's awesome. crazy. Melbourne's amazing. Mm. So we just did a little class there. And then from there, then we had you know, another cafe in, in um, South Yarra and then another cafe in um, Collingwood. And then suddenly we had all these cafes that were like, hey, we want to do this, um, cool. you know, as a way for them to sort of do social good and to like use their space because, you know, at four o'clock cafes close and they go dark and it's kind of sad, you know, um, those spaces can be can be activated. Mm. Um, so that just started the beginning of something that was momentum and people were really interested in the idea. Um, and then, you know, eventually we needed to get our own kitchen. Um, so we got our own kitchen and um, sort of developed, you know, into you know events and dinners and catering and things like that. So and this beautiful space that you guys have is that one in Northcote? Yeah, it's so gorgeous. Yeah. So did you get a designer involved? Yeah. Or? So we just found this like um, you know double story 
house it was a house actually um and i think what made like what sold us on the place is that we did it we lifted like there was these awful awful floorboards they were like laminate or something and we found a little corner and we lifted them up and it was terracotta i wonder original terracotta tiles i wonder if you place them down yeah so beautiful um and we were like oh what can we do here and then we um engaged an architect who was really generous and um and just decided that we would sort of try to create a little bit of a hub with a little garden at the back and um, just a really nice space. And then, you know, once you start dreaming up a space, it, you know, people start contributing. We've had lots of ceramicists and that have given us plates and crockery and all of that stuff. And we had a, an artist, um, Spencer Harrison, who did a beautiful mural on the wall. It just feels like I'm sure you guys, you know, once you sort of get on a wave of something, mm. things like you just start, there's momentum that's outside of your control. And I think potentially, particularly when there's like a good, mm-hmm. totally. like you're doing a good. It's an additional layer yeah. of like encouraging people to get on board. Yeah. yeah. People want to get involved when exactly. they hear you're contributing. Like you've invited me bigger. here. It's part of the wave. You know, this <laughs> is a little pit stop along the, along the journey. Yeah. So, and I yeah. love that that's like how your journey's gone is that like there wasn't this like, big plan and that's often when we speak to people that have had such success Mm. and built built such incredible things you've got to go against everything you hear which is like make sure you've got a plan make sure and if you're sitting around like planning all the time well you're not going and doing Mm, it can be crippling yeah Yeah. and you wouldn't have even seen this plan of where you've gotten to from that point like you just kind of had to go from one thing to the next absolutely you can't what is it steve jobs that said you actually can't connect the dots forward Mm. you know and Mm. and I guess it's similar to you guys you don't exactly know where you're going to be or how your business is going to evolve but like you just have to back yourself and keep totally just trying persevering yeah. and then i guess at some point you also really need a good accountant <laughs> oh, totally we're at Learned that stage right, right now <laughs> yeah, exactly yes. we recently got on a good accountant and we like every time we have to meet with him we're like okay if we have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously i'm in the same boat like i've got a um a cfo so free to feed has a cfo and she meets me once a month and it's kind of like she's coaching me yeah um, you know just trying to understand to read the you know the finances the business model that underpins what we do because if that's not um tight then we don't get to do what we do Mm -hmm. but if you start with that then you don't get to have any fun exactly a couple of years later yeah exactly it comes into it when you need it exactly yeah exactly so i guess like you you've you set out to start helping people it sounds like from a very young age and and now every day you get up and that's exactly what you do like you're helping people in your existence and what you're creating how does that feel Mm. Okay, let's be like fully transparent. I get up and I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm not like, woo, humanitarian day. I wake up and I'm really tired because my son is a really bad sleeper. So Mm. for all of the mamas that eventually hopefully listen to this, solidarity. (laughs) So I usually wake up really tired and sometimes I even wake up for a couple of hours and then I go back to bed for a couple of hours and Mm. then I re-wake up and then I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Okay, Um, at least it comes eventually. Eventually. It does, yeah. Um, and I drink lots of coffee. Um, it's hard work. It's yeah. really hard work. Um, you know, running anything with any kind of business component is really hard work. And then just throw into the mix 
people who don't speak, you know, English is their second language, mm. who have faced like immense trauma, mm. um, have really crazy visa complications um, and their lives are just incredibly hard. So all of that stuff, um, plus all of the, you know, leadership. I'm sure you guys know, that, you know, once you start growing, it becomes less about just what you want to do every day and also about cultivating a team that can help you. Yeah. Um, and that's tough, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of hard work, but it feels good when we get it right for the participants that we work with because it makes a huge difference in their life. Like imagine, you know, a woman that I was with this morning at a catering job in the city, um, it's her first ever job in her whole life. She's a mum of three. Um, she was married at about 17 years old in, um, in Iran. And she's suddenly come, you know, she's, she's just starting to get to know herself. She talks about this idea of power, like work is power. Because suddenly mm. she's got this space where she gets to share her own ideas and like earn her own money and she feels meaning and suddenly like, you know, 20 years of cooking meal, three meals a day from her family is paying off because she's a pro in the kitchen. Um, So those kind of things, you know, when I see people having that experience, it makes me feel motivated. Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like so much of what we kind of talk about, which is that it's so freaking hard, mm. but it's so freaking worth it to be it's able to totally. sit with her and hear that, you know, you're giving, you're, you're creating an opportunity where she totally. has a space to work for the yeah. first time is the most rewarding thing. And, you know, just being able to be creative at work, I think is pretty amazing. Um, I'm sure you guys know the feeling like, you know, just being able to sort of have a vision of something that you want to happen. And when it starts working, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Seeing that come to life and definitely like having those elements of giving back woven throughout your business, like, you know, I'm sure for you and definitely for us is like the part that really gets us going and totally. you know, like for us, we're a vegan shoe label and, you know, being passionate about, you know, taking animals out of fashion yep. is such a driver for us. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's a double bottom line, I think, you know, yeah. social and economic. Totally. Sure. And like so many businesses are still driven by just purely profit. Um, and, you know, it's frustrating to see when, and especially when you're competing against these things, you know, like you'd be competing against catering companies that are just purely driven by profit Mm. how do you feel like we can encourage more businesses to kind of include that like social Mm. and giving aspect of their business I feel like our generation is totally changing things up you know like it's almost I I know for me it's almost becoming an expectation you know and I think where there's a choice to to make a purchase or to um, you know, to buy from a social enterprise or a business that sort of has bigger values or is contributing something good, whether that be to the environment or to helping people. It's, it's a no-brainer for me. Mm. You know, when I think about it, when like, you know, I'm brainstorming about what can happen with Free to Feed and where Free to Feed can go, I'm just like, this is massive. Like every dollar that's ever spent on catering should actually be doing social good at the exact same time yeah totally but then I'm like okay hold on Loretta (laughs) (laughs) that's really big um so I I think um 
I think just getting people as consumers, you know, encouraging people to think about just to just really be very thoughtful with, with um, purchases mm. because there are so many amazing, say, B Corps or social enterprises or whatnot out there that they can spend their dollars at and get amazing product or experiences that also do good. So I think we should just demand it. Totally. Well, yeah. and, and that's quite empowering as well as like as a consumer and as a customer to be like, oh, where I put my dollars and like who I choose to support does actually count. Yeah, I, I, I think about that a lot, you know, when I'm talking to people and they're like, wow, this refugee issue is massive. Yeah, it is massive. It's massive and we can't solve it alone. But just really simple decisions about how we spend our money can actually genuinely affect people's lives. And that's pretty awesome. It means that each and every one of us are implicated in finding solutions for, you know, making people have a better life. Mm, We have that power. That's pretty awesome. That actually like totally leads into like the next thing we kind of wanted to chat to you about, which is, um, you know, around the fact that these issues can feel so overwhelming. Um, Like, for example, I know with our shoe label, like we have a vegan shoe label and like, you know, sometimes I'm like, awesome. Like we're adding an awesome vegan product to the market. And other days I'm like, holy crap, there is so much leather out there. No one's listening. Everyone's just producing leather. And I start to feel it like compound on top of me. And I'm like, are we even making a difference? You know, like how do you see past that and kind of like continue to focus on like what you're doing bit by bit? Mm, Totally. I think grassroots, you know, like just whatever's like what's within your control. I think that's what I tried to to focus on, you know, and the fact that, I don't know, um, people get to come to our classes and have a conversation which, you know, changes minds and hearts and then they potentially have that conversation with another person and, you know, essentially we're creating advocates mm-hmm. and so it might be small scale, you know, maybe we can provide jobs to 30 or 45 people a year. Maybe that will grow. But I think like just being a part of really positive conversations and just not feeling overwhelmed or disheartened because if you think too big, it can feel that way, you know? Mm. And I, I don't know, I look at my kids and it might sound corny, but just I want to kind of in some small way create a better planet or universe or culture or community for them. Like set a really positive example because maybe we can't solve all the complex problems, but we can be role models or we can encourage people to change their patterns of shopping or I think that means a lot, mm. you know? Small movements are really powerful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you have such a positive outlook on it. I love that. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel really like tired about like voting and politics and like, it just feels overwhelming out of my control, like just a drop in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to to take that control and to, you know, each day make decisions which are based on my values. I think that's what I can control. And I feel really empowered to do that. Yeah. Totally. That's so, so true. So I think, you know, when we, we talked about this disconnect before where there's this like disconnect when somebody's from a different background and we just see them as, you know, we hear about issues with refugees um, and people seeking asylum and we're just like, oh, well, that's, that's them. They're not from here. You know, Mm. all of those things. And free to feed is obviously doing a lot to break down those barriers. Do you have other ideas about how we can kind of continue to break down those barriers and and see people as people yeah that's a really good question um 
Yeah, because I guess this issue is kind of global, right? And so, <laughs> so I think in almost, you know, in most in most cities around the world, there are small initiatives that are making a difference, you know? So backing those is really important. Um, but just being curious and just really thoughtful about the way that we, you know, interact with people who maybe English isn't their first language. You know, the, the Uber driver or... Um, you know, the, the person that serves your takeaway at the Thai restaurant or, um, y- you know, just it's like so true. we can so change that we can create an inclusive, inclusive ecosystem just from what we're doing. We every day we interact with people who are refugees or new migrants and just in our interactions, like kindness above, you know, kindness can just be like a governing principle, right? Mm. We can totally. just be really inclusive if we're just actually kind. So yeah. yeah. And um, like it wouldn't be a How to Live podcast episode if I didn't bring up Brene Brown, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. As of late, I don't think so. <laughs> no. So um, what, something I was reading that Brene Brown said the other day was um, – she was talking about how when she goes to get her nails done at like, you know, when there are Vietnamese women doing nails and she sees people that literally sit on the phone the whole time and just like don't even look or look up or acknowledge the person doing their nails. Whereas for her, she was talking about how like she knows their names, she knows their kids' names. Like just like if you had an Australian or American manicurist, you would see them in a different way. Totally. And it's just like by just having a chat and make like a connection in, yeah exactly yeah, like totally. i actually had this it's weird that you say that because i was just thinking about it like oh should i mention that and then you started talking about that but yesterday i went to get my lashes done and um there was a south korean woman thanks um <laughs> i tried a new place south korean woman doing my lashes and i started like chatting to her because like i like a chat you have to sit there for an hour and i find it quite boring if i'm not talking and um, I was just talking to her and she said, oh, everyone's really rude that comes here, actually. I try not to talk to my clients. And I said, why are they rude? And she said, oh, you know, they just don't like to talk to me. Like, they don't think of me as equal. And I was like... <sighs> that makes me so sad. I was so shocked. Like, I was in St. Kilda. And I was in this, like, beautiful lash beauty salon. And to have someone say that about her customers who come in and they pay like 120 bucks to get their lashes done like what do you mean they're being rude to you what do you mean they don't see you as equal like I can't relate to that on any level well I mean I can that like I I feel like there is just like a natural human thing that when somebody is different you're just you just like put them in this different box and I feel like for me I have to consciously be like no these this is exactly the same like you know mm. I think that we just well, it's awesome have that this- you're aware of that I think part of the changing of conversations and is actually just being aware of our biases right mm. the way that we perceive other people or the baggage or the um, ideas, say preconceived ideas that we might have um, of people when they are of a different culture or they Mm. look different. And I think, um, you know, when I look at the sort of refugee issue, that's the sort of thing that's been circulating around in the media and in politics for a really long time. And so I guess part of what we're trying to do at Free to Feed is actually show that people really want to work they really want to contribute to the economy. They're not trying to be, you know, um, on welfare payments. Yes. Um, they really want to be a part of the community. They're not radical or dangerous. You know, the woman that I was working with this morning, her daughter became the first ever paramedic of refugee background. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That's, That's so amazing. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And so I just feel like these small things start to shift the conversation. Yes. Yeah. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. And I think like if people are listening and they – 
you know, are, are feeling like a little bit ashamed, like, oh, I've done that, you know, when there's, you know, somebody's been of a different background, like, it's okay. I just think those are, those are naturally human things that like, we connect more easily with people that look like us and sound like us, but it's about shifting your mentality yeah, and draw being a line more aware and, of it. And draw a line and be curious and, um, yeah. And you it's know, more you might about be your surprised actions. what you can find. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. the beginning, I feel like it's more about your actions than it is about your thoughts because that's how you're going to change your thoughts. So, exactly. you know, even just catching yourselves in those moments internally and then just making sure you're not outwardly acting on them is kind of the first step in a way. For sure. Um, so we particularly, I guess, when thinking about your story, the reason that I find it so empowering is because so often, I mean, I know I even feel this way and chatting to people like, you know, we see injustices happening in our lives, um, you know, everywhere kind of, you know, and, and feel passionate about causes. But like the instinct is kind of like, you know, I can't make a difference. Like, oh, mm. like that's a problem that I see, but like I could never change that kind of thing. What, what would your advice be to someone who, you know, how can we how can we get up and go and know that we're the ones that can make the difference? Well, it depends who we're talking to, right? I like, I think absolutely, you know, as we said, as consumers, you can get up and go and make the difference in the, the individual actions. I think as business owners, you know, people that might be listening that run their own businesses or work in a company, for example, can actually start to demand or shift that, you know, to make changes from within. Um, say, for example, I don't know, an environmental policy at your at your workplace or joining the climate strikes or um, getting your workplace together for a team building activity with free to feed as opposed to a more commercial cooking school. Mm, or, that's a great one. You know, absolutely. <laughs> um, I feel like and, and then people that are, um, that are that are running businesses. Well, I guess think about what 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 long lasting impact they want to have. Like business is a really powerful tool to make social change. Mm. It might be um, employing a marginalized group, um, you know, through through that business or um, using social media as a, you know, as a platform to share advocacy messages or following the, you know, I can talk within the, the realm of things I know, but um, following the Asylum Seeker Resource Center and being, you know, donating to their campaigns. Um, I feel like there are so many, it's really, it's, it's right there for the taking. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it, I guess it's about just like taking that first well, step. Yeah, but also finding, I think, finding what makes you, what are you passionate about? Like for you guys, you know, you're talking about veganism. Mm. I think within each of us, there is something that we're drawn to or that we're passionate about. And just like, even if it's just one area championing that, you know, having those discussions and reading and learning and being curious. And I think we can all do that. If we all do that each from the areas that we're passionate about, then we might actually start to make some change. Mm. Um, we read on your LinkedIn page that you said, I'm passionate about social enterprise and the power of business to address complex social challenges. What other social issues would you like to see people addressing through social enterprises that doesn't really exist yet? Wow, yeah. That's a really Just interesting question. Just to kind of question. get people's like yeah. ideas and like creative juices flowing. Well, I think everything, you know, <laughs> I look at like um, skincare, for example, and what I put on my face and I'd be interested in, um, you know, looking to see, you know, like look at GoTo, amazing, inspirational mm. brand. 
Um, and you know, there it's a vegan brand, I believe, I think, but I'm curious about, you know, how that, that, um, movement can influence social change. You know, there, it's got a cult following, mm. you know, so it's not necessarily, um, and you know, and what, what values does that business have that they can then, they can then use their profits for good, I mm. think, or even if it's just a percentage of their profits. So I just kind of look around and just sort of see that potential everywhere, you know, yeah, um, it can be – you can incorporate good absolutely. into absolutely everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I really – you know, my vision is that that becomes the norm. We've got a bit of a way to go, but I think I think we're – um, just keep talking about it. Keep yeah, advocating Gen Z it. has got our backs because yeah, they totally. are like all about this absolutely. for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. and even when you see like a brand um, that's giving 10% of profits per product to an organization that they care about – um, you know, they're doing more than that because they're also educating their customers Absolutely. and yeah. setting an example to yeah. be like, this is something Absolutely. we should be doing. Yeah. So are there any other cool social enterprises that you love um, that you want to give a little shout out to? <gasps> Ooh, this is fun. <laughs> um, oh, let me think. Well, looking at the sort of refugee space, I think um, – there are a couple of really amazing social enterprises, um, Free to Feed being one of them. <laughs> um, and the other one I really respect is Scarf. I don't know if you've heard of them, no. but they work with young refugees um, in and doing front of house. So like hospitality oriented training to help young refugees and new migrants to then get be able to get a job in a cafe or a bar. It's really practical. It's nice. It's good work. Really good, honest work. Um, whew. Well, then, you know, it, it depends if we consider, say, Dumbo Feather, for example, yeah. you know, progressive, interesting, curious, thoughtful content, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's really inspiring. Like I just pick up Dumbo Feather or Lindsay magazine um, and I'm just totally, you know, learning and, and thinking and being curious. And I think, you know, they're really positive, positive examples. Yeah. Funny. I was actually at a Dumbo Feather event in Byron Bay um, a few weeks ago. Cool. And just incredible. Like they had this awesome in conversation that, and they've got a podcast as well. So I'm going to get there. You go. There. Yeah, absolutely. Have a listen to that. Awesome. awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, we always end off our episodes with some quick fires. Um, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. Um, so number one, what's your favorite cuisine? Ooh. My heritage is Italian. It's really hard to go beyond a really good bowl of pasta. Yeah, we 1,000% agree. I think our favorite cuisine is Italian Yeah, despite (laughs) not being Italian, which it's just such good food. Delicious. Delicious. Yeah. Fresh and yummy. Who inspires you? It's really interesting. I I feel like I get inspiration from anyone who's doing a really good job at what they do. Mm. You know, whether it's like a really super awesome mum um, to say, I don't know, Lucy Fegans from the Design Files. Oh, you know, she's, she's got love her. excellent vision. Um, you know, anyone that's sort of like just bossing it, mm, you know, totally. Um, whether that be, I look at the the women we work with; they're also incredibly inspiring. It's yeah, it's coming from everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. so cool. Um, what is your favorite place to travel to? <sighs> mm everywhere you know everywhere europe the middle east india it's incredibly vibrant and amazing um everywhere travels the best travels mm. the best exactly it is so good um last one if you had a superpower what would it be i think healing maybe 
That would that's be pretty good. Great that, yeah. That's yeah. so much about yeah. you that that's where your mind went. <laughs> totally. Like, like I'm like flying or like <laughs> invisible. And you're like, I need to help. It's people. just healing. It'd be pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It'd be I'll amazing. let you know if it develops. Okay, great. Welcome to see you. Awesome. Well, thank okay. you so much. Thank this has been you. such an incredible chat. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we just loved listening back to that episode. We actually spent our Saturday night making edits on our balcony overlooking the sunset over Manhattan and it didn't feel like work one bit. Mm-mm. Um, the difference Loretta is making through Feed to Feed and her incredibly positive outlook on the world and the change being created, it's really refreshing and something that I really want to take forward because sometimes I can feel like stuff just gets me down and I think I just need a little bit of more of that like day-to-day positivity in my life. Totally. I think we all need a little bit more of that. So if you did like this episode, we would love for you to help us getting the word out. Um, You can leave a review on the podcast app. You can share this episode with a friend and please share a pic of wherever you are listening to this podcast episode on Instagram. DM us at how to live if you have any thoughts and we will thank you by giving you a thousand unicorns in your dreams. Ah. What? Who doesn't want that? I know. Uh, next week on the podcast, we have the very, very talented Margie Woods. Um, so she is from Victoria and Woods, her label. It's a fashion label that we have been fans of for a really, really long time. So it was really surreal and special to get to sit down with Margie. Take a listen. I just was really quite slow in how I grew and I didn't really let that worry me too much so we were a wholesaler first and we took our time doing that we took our time going into David Jones I said no before I said yes a few times and I think that just go slow and really consider every move that's next week on how to live the podcast we hope you have the most fabulous week ever and we can't wait to chat to you next week (laughs) 